Makers of Sport Podcast, Episode 13, with Chris Bazin. Episode 13 of the Makers of Sport podcast. I'm your host, Adam Martin, at T. Adam Martin on Twitter. I'm happy today to welcome Christopher Bays into the show. Uh, Chris is no stranger to the design community and specifically the sports design community. He's very active on Dribble, Twitter, and forums such as sportslogos.net and uh, under considerations brand new. He's the founder of recently launched Sports Font Foundry a custom typeface foundry focused towards the sports aesthetic. Uh, for most of his career, he's been working in sports, including time at Adidas, Reebok, Old Hat Creative, and he is currently at sports apparel company, J America. Welcome to the show, Chris. I appreciate you taking the time to come aboard. Appreciate you for having me. So uh, I obviously I gave a little bit of a brief introduction to your career, but can you t- give us a little bit more in depth and tell us a little bit about your story getting to where you are today? Well, uh, starting off, I'm originally from Canton, Ohio. So being the sports town that it is, it's kind of like you have that in your blood. So combining the world of sport and my natural ability in the world of art, I wouldn't have called it design at that point, kind of helped shape and mold my path somewhat. Um, yeah, you know, I was one of the kids that, uh, if you've ever heard of a kid getting expelled from school, normally it's because they did something like fighting or destruction of property. I was a guy that got kicked out of school for not going to school. So it limited my options, but fortunately for me, I was a kid that was really entrenched in the world of sports. Like I was a kid that growing up, I would draw athletes for lunch money. I would draw sports logos from my Skybox cards in order to fuel my habit to go buy more sports cards or to have Nutty Bars and Chili Willies at lunch. So um, to know that I could do something like that potentially as a career was always amusing to me. I always entertained that idea. So when one door closed, another one opened. So it gave me an opportunity to channel my energies a little differently. It wasn't till... I had uh, attended a seminar from the Art Institute of Pittsburgh. They came and visited my high school that I considered to go to college for this type of thing. And not really knowing what graphic design was, I knew it was a way for me to do sports illustrations because, you know, illustration itself is one component of graphic design. It wasn't until I got to Pittsburgh and in 1999 that I actually touched a computer for design purposes for the first time. And, uh, Like I said, always about sports aesthetic. Everything I did was either pro wrestling or football or basketball players. And upon graduation, you know, opportunities didn't come right away. But once I found out that some guys from Reebok were headed to Pittsburgh's uh, portfolio review, I believe it was in July of 2002, you know, a career services person called me up and says, Chris, I know this is what you do. Here's an opportunity for you to... um, get in contact with some people that could help you further your career in that area. So I packed up my portfolio and I was out, you know, so um, 
meeting those guys was interesting for the first time. It was a thrill. I was probably running my mouth like crazy, you know, just over enthusiastic. And I tell you, I felt really good walking away from it. And it took me about six months of back and forth, just reaching out every week, seeing if anything had happened after that review and if they had decided to hire someone and, you know, what my chances are, what I could do to make my odds better of coming on board. And, you know, it was, I, I think I must've warmed down. They, they felt the passion <laughs> in, in my right. approach and it was probably um, November of 2002 when they reached back out to me and made me an offer to come to Indianapolis, which is the, one of their facilities, one of Reebok's facilities to start working and getting on board there. That's, it was like school all over again. And, as far as like my start, my evolution, all I guess that's kind of a way to kind of a quick little recap. <laughs> right, right. So um, that was was did Reebok was it did Adidas they own Reebok now, right? Did they own Reebok then? Adidas owns Reebok now. They didn't own them back then. Um, okay. Actually, the the facility I was working at was recently acquired by Reebok when they. Um, when Reebok was awarded the NFL contract deal, that ten-year exclusive deal. Oh yeah, yeah, that was that was like a heyday, man. Because you had uh, NFL contract, you got the answer, you know, the yeah. Iverson brand. Yeah, for sure. So um, I, I was checking out your LinkedIn profile, and you you spent some time uh, next at Adidas. Was that kind of a transition from Reebok to Adidas uh, because of like the acquisition, or was it literally like a different company? Then you moved on. It was because of the acquisition. So a lot of staff that was formerly Reebok employees were allocated to the Adidas brand and in working with the NBA primarily as one of the graphic designers on that team, I, that's how I made the transition. And that was in April of 2006, I believe. Okay, cool. So what type of work uh, or would you be creating uh, at, you know, during those, uh, those departments? Oh, when I started, it was... It was like that song started from the bottom. You know, when I came on board, like I said, it was an, a very eye-opening experience for me because where in school I thought I was talented, now I'm surrounded by talented people that are maybe five to ten years my senior and that have been in the industry for quite some time. So it was real. It was like drop everything you knew before and start wrapping your mind around this world. So when I got to Indy, like I said, December of 2002, they put me in their little corporate housing. I was about a block away from the building. As soon as I got off work, I'd head right back to the hotel room, ESPN. I was morning, noon, and night just trying to wrap my mind around that world. Like, head first. What can I do to make myself better? What can I do to make sure that I'm not the weakest link on this team? And uh, I said a lot of it early on was production work, creating breakouts, converting graphics to different colorways. Uh, if it was changing text on this graphic or that graphic or learning to do conversions from one team to another. From then, you know, we'd get the opportunity to work on locker room team, locker room tees and um, other packages for the NFL. Say, for instance, if a playoff offering was right around the corner, then we'd look at wildcard graphics, division champs, conference champs, matchups. And little by little, I find myself working my way into the mix, getting graphics into these collections. And it just kind of 
took over from there. It was like a high you get and uh, just constantly chase that thing. So that's how I kind of started there. Nice. Do you remember a moment when like, uh, uh, you know, I don't know, one of the pregame tees or something like that. And you saw something that was, you know, completely yours, like not not the one where you changed the type or did maybe did a little production work. But it was like, man, I did that. That's me right there. Uh, I may have had a conference champs tee or something along those lines early on. And that was huge for me because see it in the catalog. And and it was one of those things, too, where I it was because I had learned something from the guys around me and it implemented some of those lessons. And it was like, okay, this is real now. Like right. somebody could, has the opportunity to pay money to do what I'm doing. And this is at a time when the Colts were starting to turn the corner and you started to see a lot of Indianapolis Colts product in those books as one of our sample teams. Uh-huh. So when sales were actually being made and these products were booking, you know, to be able to walk around the local mall, and see something that I had designed, or at least been a part of. I was like, right. wow, okay, this yeah. is crazy. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> no, that's awesome. I, I was going to say, I can uh, I can empathize with that feeling a little bit, like not necessarily from an apparel perspective, but like, you know, my, my experience at IMG and seeing like, you know, going to the SEC tournament or whatever and, and seeing like this huge, even, even like, you know, even, even something is, you know, like a banner that it was just like, Oh, you know what? That's just some sponsor logos and like some very little design to it. But it's like, dude, that's just cool though to walk around this corner. And like, there it is on this huge stadium, like this 50 foot by 50 foot banner or whatever. So I can definitely empathize with you there. So next, uh, I guess was Indianapolis, the team, just because, uh, uh, your, uh, sample team, just because of the location that, that department being an Indy. Um, sometimes we wanted to look at teams that had better odds of maybe okay. progressing further in, in the playoff mix. Yeah, uh, a lot of times it has to do with colors. Do they have good colors to work with? Can the graphics that you're creating be presented in a good light right. in this context? You know, so that's one thing. And uh, sometimes it was good to work with the Colts, for example, because they had two colors primarily. If you can get something to work on minimal colors, then it's a pretty safe bet that it's going to work on teams where you have more color options to work with. Right. So uh, later in your time there, you moved on to NBA Apparel Graphics Manager. Is that um, is that where you worked on the Washington Wizards logo? Yes, it was. Very cool, man. Um, I'm a huge fan, huge fan of that logo. Oh, the, thank the, you. The concept, dude, it's 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 beautiful, and it's one of those things where it's like when you finally see it, you're like, oh my gosh, man, that's like this. That's the stuff that I love about. You know, I think that in the sports industry, it's easy to get into the the obvious. You know, right. like let's just make these things and make it like as, as, as hardcore punch you in the face. But when there's some thinking behind it like that, like, dude, that's that's just beautiful. And for I'll put a sh- link in the show notes for everybody. But I'm, I'm specifically referring to the basketball with the Washington uh, Monument in it for the Washington Wizards. Well, and I will say this, too, not to take all credit, because this is a part of a process where you're a team and people are bouncing ideas off of one another. But throughout the course of that, not just this project, but all the other ones I've had the the opportunity and the privilege to work on, you know, that was something that we always tried to strive for was how, how can we interject as much of the essence of the team, of that area, of the sport? How can we slip in some of those elements of discovery that don't stick out like sore thumbs? How can we um, just a little hide something in there? Like I, I, I refer to them as Easter eggs sometimes just to say, yeah, wow, you yeah. know what? That wasn't just 
by accident that happened. There was a lot of thought that went into allow all these different ideas to work together cohesively. And when you can pull something like that off, it's almost like one of those unicorns, you know, that people talk about. But when it happens, it, it's one of those things that I'm even impressed by my, you know, myself where I'm like, damn, did I think of that? <laughs> <laughs> it's like the, it's just like this, it's like serendipity, you know, it's like this beautiful, I don't want to call it like an accident because obviously there's a lot of thinking and stuff that's involved, but it's like the, everything sort of just sets the pace for the way right. either letter forms work together or just uh, iconic images that you can incorporate. So that's, that's awesome. So next you moved to, uh, you were, you were at Knights Apparel uh, yes. for a little while. And then, um, and then you moved over to old hat creative in Norman, which is a, a sports design, uh, kind of a full service agency. Yes. Can you talk a little bit about that time? Sure. Um, I was at a point in my career where apparel design was all I knew. And I was really fascinated with the world of branding. I wanted to see where I could go if I went further down that rabbit hole. And, uh, I knew for the sake of longevity, I needed to diversify a little bit too. You know, it's good to be a jack of all trades, but I really wanted that to be my primary focus and all the other things came along with that rather than being an apparel guy that happened to work on logos and typography. So when the opportunity presented itself to go to Oklahoma, a lot of people thought I was crazy but I felt like it was an opportunity for me to go to school and deprogram and reprogram while retaining a lot of the knowledge that I acquired over my time in the apparel industry. So coming into Old Hat, my specific, my primary uh, role was as a print graphic designer, which up to that point, I had never done any print work in my life. I was able to incorporate some of the aesthetic that I got from doing high-end graphics you know, like player images or helmets or uh -huh. high-end trophies, things of that nature. So I was able to take some of that foundational composition knowledge and then add on new elements. Like how do you incorporate, like how am I using InDesign even right now? And trying to figure out how to work cross-platform in this new environment. But I was always willing to take on new projects with the branding as well. So understanding how to implement certain aesthetic to carry out that brand rather than just thinking logo mindset, it allowed me to think bigger picture. So it was like I was learning several different things simultaneously that I feel ultimately made me more well-rounded. Right. So, and, and like, I guess in the past, you know, you're working on, you know, t-shirts or like apparel and stuff like that, but this, it gave you an opportunity to dig a little deeper on brands and sort of work on like visual application and like how deep can it go? Cause I know that you, um, did the identity for, let me think here. I'm pulling it up. I'm looking at the internet right now. So <laughs> listeners, listeners are going to have to, uh, to just deal with this. <laughs> It's a podcast, right? It's a podcast. It's not. It's not. Nobody said we were professionals. We're not getting paid for this. You know? <laughs> oh, right, we're doing right, it for right. the love of the game. Right, right. Well, I knew it was the Wildcats. So the Culver Stockton College Wildcats. So like on something yes. like that, um, you know, and you you guys did like a, you know the full like there was like an unveiling and and that type of thing. So that you got to push a little bit deeper on that, I guess. And and how 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 did that process go? Well, it was one where I was steadily trying to convince my job that I had the ability to handle a project from start to finish. And it's not that they didn't believe in that, but you know, 
a lot of people don't understand that there's design and then there's like managing the project throughout the course of the design process. So can you interact with your client? Can you, you know, be personable with them? Can you receive feedback and constructive criticism and take that and, and allow it to make you a better designer? And I think that was, there was kind of a, a testing ground there to see if I could do that. So I felt confident in my ability. So to be able to have that, that platform to interact with a client for the first time on a higher level face to face or on a conference call and take the lead on that. It was a very uh, empowering moment for me. So in having that and being able to pick a brain and just asking all the questions that would allow me to do what I do the best way I know how was uh, it was great for me. So to have that free flowing conversation, checkpoints here and there, just to make sure that we're following on the right path. Um, and just being able to see that thing through all the way to fruition was, was a great experience for me. And then to be able to go out there to, to, um, Canton, Missouri for the unveiling and to finally see how well the identity was received was just icing on the cake. Yeah. How much selling is involved in something like that? Like when, you know, as far as like you're concerned, like, is that something that you had to kind of learn to do too? Um, where, you know, you're showing a client these things. And I think as designers, like we, t- we tend to, we need to be a little bit of salespeople, right? Because otherwise they're going to make subjective decisions and we're trying to push like these objective, like this is the right thing for you type of thing. Well, it was very difficult for me initially to approach someone because it's almost like telling, trying to convince someone that they need something, you know, and and I'm looking at it through the, through the eyes of a designer and I don't understand what their mindset is. So it's almost like a chess game there. It's like, Hey, well, if you'd like to, this is a service we offer. So, (laughs) because you don't want to come off as insulting. You know, say, hey, look, you know what? You guys really need a new identity, and I want to be the guy to do that for you. Not quite sure how to take that because I know there are things about myself that I may like and other people might not care for. But as long as I'm happy with it, that should be all that matters, right? So um, it's a very interesting game to play there. So you, so you sort of, I mean, I, I, I'm pretty familiar with Old Hat. I mean, I, I've been kind of following their work, obviously, since really almost since they started, I guess. Um, but the, uh, you really kind of brought that, I mean, that position was something sort of new, right? Because they weren't doing like these full, they might do like a, like a sponsorship logo or like a special event logo, but they weren't doing like these full like rebrandings of like colleges and stuff, at least to my knowledge at the time, right? Uh, They had in the past, but there was definitely more of a concentrated effort once I came on board. Uh, Just the pedigree of working at big brands kind of gave a sense of validation there, like, hey, you can trust us. But I still had to prove myself in their world. So if it was event branding or marketing campaign logos, I had to show them that I had those chops in order to be trusted with the additional stuff. So, and then being a print designer on top of that, I couldn't allow my primary job to be compromised in doing this either. So it was a juggling act. But up to that point, no, I wouldn't say there was a, a dedicated focus to that side of the business. 
How did uh how did you handle the uh the tornadoes out there <laughs> in that part of the country? Being from, you know, the, the up northern Ohio. You know, it's funny because uh I called one of my good friends once I showed up in Norman and he's like, Yeah, you might want to take some insurance out because of those tornadoes. And I'm thinking to myself, you know what, everybody stereotypes and you know what, it's gonna be cool. I'm not worried about it. But it was probably the second week I was there. And uh, thank God we were in a brick building with a basement because I just remember tornado warnings going on and, and Norman will be the first one. Like I think they itch for tornado season to come around because it has so much <laughs> hype and excitement to the area straight up. Like there's this one guy, I can't remember the name, his name off the top of my head, but I call him chicken little, you know, just because yeah. the, the slightest sign of something is like the sky is falling. And, uh, <laughs> You kind of like take it with a grain of salt, but when you see a tornado forming beyond Oklahoma's, you know, campus for the first time, like I've never seen a tornado in my life. So <laughs> yeah. my second week there, it, it wind, you know, trees, things cracking, flying. <laughs> I'm looking, I'm, I'm like, man, what the hell did I get myself into? Then I'm thinking about my dog at the apartment crossway, so I got to run over there, grab him, bring him to the building. <laughs> My wife yeah. comes over there after work. It's like she's looking at me, and she, you know, they don't even have to say anything. They just have that face, right? You know what I mean? Where there's, and it yeah. just oh, it makes your stomach feel like a wrung out dish rag, straight up. So uh, yeah, it, it, it was it was interesting, man. I tell you, yeah, yeah. So so your next move, uh, you came back back sort of home, I guess, at least in the area. Canton, where is that in relate in relation to Columbus? Canton is about two hours northeast of Columbus, about okay. an hour south of Cleveland. Gotcha. And if you don't know Canton, Ohio, for anything else, you'll know him for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Yeah, 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 yeah. Actually, uh, let me see here. Mark Stoops. No, he's from Youngstown. Okay. Mark Stoops, the coach of Kentucky. I knew that he was from like Ohio up, up in that, that area. Cause he's, he's like kind of moving his sec, you know, the, at Kentucky, like you're not going to get a lot of the, the sec quality recruits. So he's trying to jump up into big 10 country and convince those guys yeah. to come play the sec. <laughs> I try to tell people there's a lot of talent in Ohio, man. They don't want to hear it. They think Texas, Florida, California. We were just talking about this the other day. Me and some friends is, Hey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, you cannot leave those guys out. Yeah, up. yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. So you moved back home, and uh, yes. and and that's where you're at now. You're you're at J America, which is an apparel company. Can you talk a little bit about what you do there? Correct. Yeah, I'm a graphic designer for J America right now, where we uh, specialize in collegiate uh, apparel graphics. The primary objective for the building I work at now is we became. Uh, partners with the Ohio State University. So we're exclusive outfitters outside of Nike, where Nike provides their on-field apparel and anything that is like, w would be sideline or, you know, high-level stuff. Right. And then we would take care of every other facet of the business for them. So what would be considered in the apparel industry, mid-market and mass-market tiers, uh, we have designed into both of those categories. I specialize in men's and boys' products. Okay, cool. Well, I'm looking at your, uh, we're doing this interview over Skype, uh, just so our listeners know, but uh, I'm looking at your icon in, in Skype and uh, you must be a pretty big Buckeye fan, I guess. And uh, yeah, <laughs> I, you know, you know, the funniest thing about it is, is I tell people this all the time. Like 
I used to hate Ohio State with a passion. I used to hate the Browns with a passion. I used to hate Cleveland Sportsman because they could never get the job done. Right. But there's just something about the distance that makes you a little more appreciative. And the biggest thing for me about not liking Ohio State growing up is because John Cooper could never beat Michigan. So I was yeah. like, what the hell with these guys? I'll go ahead and root for Michigan. Yeah. But And Michigan always has a lot of Ohio guys on the team. Yeah, you know, the most famous one I'd probably say is Desmond Howard, you know, Northeast yeah. Ohio guy too. But, yeah. you know, he, he gets no love in this household, so whatever. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, yeah, it was over the course of time, you know, just that, that – that uh, migration took place. And I think I, I really started to become Ohio state fan. I was watching a Ohio state, Michigan game. It was, I want to say November of maybe 2005, 2006. I believe Troy Smith was quarterback at the time and mm-hmm. it was a slug fest. And I just remember Ohio state coming out on top and I was just like, you know what? The hell with Michigan. <laughs> you know, I like, I fully <laughs> yeah. embraced my, my inner Buckeye. So yeah, uh, you're like, been that way ever from, since. man. No, that's a beautiful well, the same, thing. I feel like about sports. Yeah. Well, the same thing happened to me with the Browns too. I used to hate the Browns. They were, they were the Cleveland clowns growing up to us. You know? Yeah. I mean, looking back, we didn't understand how great a teams they had in the late eighties. I mean, it was playoffs, 11, five seasons every year, three consecutive AFC championship games, you know, I didn't win one, but still, I mean, that's a lot for a team. And uh, it wasn't until 1999 when the Browns came back to Cleveland and I was going to the Art Institute of Pittsburgh at that time. And I just remember meeting a couple Cleveland guys and going over their place and watching the Browns Steelers first game preseason. And we just got smoked. I believe it was 43 to nothing. Yeah. And uh, after that, I was like, you know what? The hell with this place, man. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> just a light switch flipped and it's been on ever since. Yeah. 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 So are you still doing a little bit of freelance on the side? Are, did you just do something? Are you doing, working with Rick Bob uh, graphics up there? Some, uh, you know, I, I, I've made some friends in my time back in Columbus, you know, life yeah. is good on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, yeah, I, I had to uh, him post him post something and, and he credited, credited, credited you uh, for some of the artwork. Yes. Um, once I arrived in Columbus, I wanted to definitely reach out to a guy of his caliber. One, you know, just because I would love for the opportunity to work with a guy on that level. And two, and most importantly, it was a huge thing for me to have the opportunity to talk to one of the guys that has helped shape and define my career in an indirect way. And mm-hmm. to have the opportunity to say thank you, you know, and this guy, you know, these guys are just doing their jobs. They're going to work. But to be able to say, you know what, it's because of you, you've helped define and shape my path. And I'm very appreciative of that just to shake a guy's hand and look in their eye like that was a very it was a huge privilege for me. Right. Yeah, well, that's, uh, you know, that's that's interesting that you say that. I mean, I think, um, you know, if you think about design or, you know, this industry advertising or whatever, this, this particular niche is just so interesting to me because, you know, you don't really have, I guess, a lot of designers that sort of are banding together. Maybe there are, I don't know, that are like banding together about like healthcare design or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Like, and right. then you got like, right. we're like, you know, sports, man. It's like sports, sports, sports. And it's its own, 
it's like its own thing. It's its own animal. And um, oh, absolutely. The community you start to find is so, is a lot more tight knit when you start to kind of run in some of these little circles and you know frequent uh, certain websites and things like that and see like people commenting. And I think the first time that I actually came across you was when you went to Old Hat actually, and and I was following Old Hat. So it's like you know you kind of start to see like all these people and become familiar with these names. And then of course we got the beauty of Twitter and things like that. Um, right. Which speaking of Twitter, actually, we got a question, Scott. You know, I'm afraid to say your last name, man. Uh, Scott Def- Defacel or um, or Defacel. We're Defacel. Gonna, I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, man. I'm sorry if I butchered I'm it, sorry, but uh, he he uh, he asked a question. He said if you had to start from scratch and no one knew um, that you, no one knew you, and you hadn't necessarily worked in the industry, which I'm assuming he's he means specific like the sports industry. Um, he said, how would you get started? Me personally, it was pretty much how I got into the industry was I found out who was in there and I just reached out. And a lot of people don't understand that it's at the end of the day, people are just people. Right. And the worst that somebody can say is no. Like you reach out, hey, if there's any opportunity for me to create this or do that, or if we can just have a conversation so I can figure out a little bit more about your world, that would be my start. You know, but I think that can be a little intimidating. One, uh, just because a person might feel like they're not at a place to reach out to someone of that stature or that level, or they might not feel competent about their work, or it might just be transaction driven, which I think is a terrible way to go about the business. You know, if it's if it can be more organic and say, hey, you know what, I'm a huge fan of your work, even if it's just the opportunity to talk, that's that's great for me. I'm always willing to to hear somebody out or just engage in a little conversation. So I think if you just come at somebody like a real person, you know, that's a great start Two, You got to have some talent too. you know, like I'll be willing to give a person my time, but it's nice to have somebody that has at least a solid foundation there and that can have Mm -hmm. that next level type of conversation. So in a nutshell, I'll just say be straight up. Hey, my name is so-and-so I'm, I'm this, I'm that, I do that. I love your opinion on something, whatever, you know, there's a couple of different ways to skin that cat. Right. Right. And I think, you know, uh, I think that you kind of hit the nail on the head a little bit, uh, so to speak too, when, when you mentioned, uh, you know, to have like a strong foundation, like even if it's not like sports related design or whatever, but I think, you know, when we talk about people are just people at the same time, like people are busy too. Like you're busy. I mean, you got your, your, your full-time gig and then you got your, your, your new, new thing, which we'll talk about here in just a minute. But you know, uh, so it's like, you don't really necessarily want to take as much time teaching super like fundamentals, I guess, you know, it's like you need to have a base, you know, if you're going to approach that conversation, uh, speaking of, you know, you talked about work being like, uh, being competent in your work, Mm -hmm. you know, one thing uh, you, your degree or your, um, your specialization, I know that when you, when you went to school was, um, traditional illustration, yes. So is that something that, you know, for our listeners that you would say is, is that something that's like a natural talent that it's like, you know, if you can't do it, then don't even try it. Or is it like, you know, you can actually hone this talent over the years, as long as you keep doing it over and over and over to develop like this certain aesthetic, like, especially in sports, we see logos that are illustrated. Well, for me, it was natural. Um, I was always into portraits and drawing athletes. I took a more literal approach. I would love to be 
a photorealistic illustrator. And there, there have been guys that I've worked with that are phenomenal talents that can replicate an image like nobody's business. But there was a part of logo design to me that I was particularly interested in. And being an illustrator starting off for me, it was tough because I wanted to cram so much information into a design. It took a lot of trial and error for me to figure out what what the balance was or where I could take liberties. So being an illustrator had its advantages, but at the same time, it had its disadvantages. Uh, I don't necessarily say you have to be a traditional illustrator to get started, but it's great to have in your arsenal. Can you become one? I guess you can, but you have to really ask yourself, is the juice worth the squeeze at the same time? Also, you have to kind of figure out what your approach to that area of design is going to be. Some people might be great at replicating this or that, or they might be great at doing like old school, traditional baseball mascot designs, or maybe they're really good at progressive and simplistic and somewhat abstract marks. It's kind of just like feeling your way out and finding out what works for you, like what you can have fun with too. Like if it's going to be a chore for me to draw something and design something, that's probably not what I'm going to be doing all the time. So, right. So yeah, you have answered your question on that. <laughs> no, I, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, are you, um, are you, do you do a lot of work in like the sketchbook or are you like a just straight to the computer kind of guy? I sketch all the time, okay. all the time. I feel like, there's so much that can be done on paper before you bring it into that digital realm. You can do so much troubleshooting and problem solving and, 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 and trial and error there. And it's a lot easier to do it with a, with some lead and an eraser than it is pixels and pushing this and pulling that Bezier or these miters. Uh, I agree that. I agree to that, man. I agree to that uh, wholeheartedly. Is there like, do you have a specific, I mean, are you, you know, obviously you don't have to tell any secrets like we, we kind of talk about, but how refined do you try to get it before you move into, uh, you know, scanning it into illustrator and, and doing your vector work? I try to get my sketches as tight as possible. And one, because I would love to get to the point where I'm just tracing an illustrator, but two, there's this little thing in the back of my mind that says, you know what, if the computers ever go down and are, you know, obsolete at some point, we, you know, have an EMP go off or something crazy like that. I would yeah. still be able to do the same quality of work <laughs> with right. colored <laughs> pencils and markers, and, you know, some paper. So, yeah, yeah, it, it's just something that keeps me rooted. You know, it keeps me back in that place that fell in love with it and, it, you know, where I got my start. It's it's a great exercise for me. That's good stuff, man. I, I agree with that. I mean, I think that... uh you know, we sort of, and I myself, I've kind of moved away from, I do like super basic sketches, like working, seeing how letter forms work together and stuff, but I don't do a whole mm -hmm. lot of, I guess, refined stuff. Um, but, you know, I think back to how I even started in all this stuff and it was like, you know, I just like to draw, you know, and, and you yourself. And I think it's awesome that you stuck with that. I, I I'm going to jump back into that actually now, because I, you know, talking to guys like you and Joe and, you know, Todd Radom. And Joe Bosack for anybody that may not have happened to catch that episode. But, you know, um, I think that as some, you know, if you work in the sketchbook, it helps you, you to do things with you, you to clear your head, you know, 
of mm-hmm. like b- even bad ideas. Like get the stuff out, just get as much stuff out as you can. And then like you start to sort of refine. Do you, I guess, do you kind of do a little bit of that? Do, just try to get I, everything out as possible. I constantly talk about having a brain dump where I just get all the ideas out, regardless of how good or how bad I think they are at the time I create them. Because even in the bad ones, there might be a little little nugget there that you can pull out and say, you know, maybe if I incorporate it into the one that I thought was really great, it could possibly take it to another level. So it's good to just exhaust all your options and be able to make a sound decision based on that. Like there are right. times where, yeah, my first sketch might be the best sketch for that particular situation. But there are times where I might look down the road or even at some old sketches and say, you know what, I might just have to go revisit that one that I wasn't thinking about. Just because, you know, like I'd like to see what I can do now with that old sketch. Well, you know, because you're constantly adding to your arsenal, you're building new things, you're picking up new tips and tricks and techniques. And maybe you didn't have, you know, the level of competence to like execute it at the initial point in time where you came up with that concept. But now you're like, okay, I'll take another stab at that. And it's just like, wow, thank God I didn't throw that one away, you know? Right. Right. Or at least I jotted it down somewhere, whether it was a post-it note or, you know, in uh, on the back of a receipt, whatever. Right, right. Well, so, you know, we've kind of touched on, on you know, you moving up to J America and, you know, obviously yes. you're still doing a little bit of freelance. And and here recently, back in, you know, the beginning of the summer, middle midsummer, maybe, you founded Sports Fonts. So can you talk a little bit about what is Sports Font Foundry and and uh, what, what kind of gave you the uh, initiative, I guess, to kind of push that out there and, and separate, you know, from like maybe a traditional font foundry for the sports industry? Well, Sports Fonts, as far as I know, is the original Sports Fonts Foundry. Right. So let's just get right. that out there right now. Yeah, no <laughs> doubt, man. But, uh, There's no doubt, yeah. You know, there may be one out there, and if there is, that's great. I'll take it back, and I'll say, you know, uh, I'll call it something else. The tagline will... We, we don't, we don't. But here's the thing, though. Here's the thing, though. We're, <laughs> we're, we're in the industry. We're running in these circles, and if there's one out there, we don't know about them yet, so they haven't obviously haven't found their audience, so there you go. You know what? You got a, you got a great <laughs> point right there. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm, uh, I'm, I ball, I'm balls in your court, man. I'm, I'll, I got you back here. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. But uh, you know what? Sports fonts came into existence because, one, a lot of people, I've got a lot of hospital bills to pay right now. So it was a great time for me to get resourceful. One. Uh Two was the fact that I, you know, there's font foundries for this, there's that, there's that. And there was never, I mean, obviously you have like your varsity or you're going to have, um, Vitesse or United that very easily lend themselves to that sports design aesthetic. Right. But I'm sitting here thinking to myself one day, and I probably thought this several times over the years, like, you know, how can there's no resource as far as like a sports font foundry is concerned? It's such a big industry. There hasn't been one central location where people can go and just one stop shop for all their font needs as far as that particular aesthetic is concerned. Uh-huh. And I have a lot of typefaces that I build. Type, you know, Building type is fun for me. It's therapeutic for me. It takes time, 
but there's some problem solving involved in that. It's, you know, trying to carry out a distinct look, making things look cohesive. There's just a, a certain challenge that comes along with it that I'm very intrigued by and I have a lot of fun with. So I have several fonts sitting on my hard drive, just collecting dust. And I says, I, I wonder if people will be interested in buying some of these things. That was part of my mindset behind it. Another one was I would like to contribute to the world of sports design in some way, mm-hmm. you know, where I can make my stamp on things. Right. And because I hadn't seen a, a, a foundry out there like that, it says, you know what? Maybe I need to be the one to create that. So, you know, looking around Squarespace and looking at a couple other foundries that existed, I, I kind of decided to take a night and figure it out and says, you know what? I'm going to make this right now. And gather up all my resources, bump my head a couple times, trying to figure it out along the way. And, you know, after a little bit of time, I had a little something that was functional and up and running. And, uh, when I made mention of all this thing and trying to like really go for the gold on it, starting the Instagram and the Twitter and this and that little by little, it started to gather traction and people would respond and say, you know what? This is a great idea. How else could nobody thought of this? And I'm sitting there like, I've asked myself the same thing. I'm right. actually, I'm amazed it's taking this long for something like that to come around. So it was just, you know, what do they say? Necessity is the mother of all inventions. So yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's awesome, man. I mean, and, and I, I saw some of the feedback that you got and I even, I think I even sent you a message or two, you know, and that's kind of the same thing that I got with this podcast is like, you know, there's, this is an industry that, or, or a niche in, in an industry that for many years has sort of been, I guess, underserved, um, <laughs> uh, you yes. know, as far as like the, the things around it, you know, not necessarily the design, but just like, you know, the conversations around it or, or, you know, specific things like fonts that are targeted to this specific industry. I do want to kind of go, obviously we're going to go a lot deeper on this, uh, sports font, you know, your, your new project, sure. but, um, uh, you did, you mentioned your number one reason for one of your reasons for doing this was because you had a whole lot of hospital bills and I wanted to, oh, yeah. um, uh, you know, if you could kind of touch on that a little bit for people that maybe aren't necessarily familiar with you, because if you're comfortable, obviously, but um, I think that not only you do you have an inspiring story from a professional perspective, but also like a personal perspective. Oh, sure. Yeah. I, you know, a lot of people wonder about this, you know, when or they might hear about it or I might, it might come out in conversation, but I feel like it's a good thing to talk about because it's helped push me in ways that I never would have been without it. And that is, in December of 2012, I was diagnosed with neuroendocrine cancer. And neuroendocrine cancer is a form of cancer that attacks your nervous system, primarily your uh, digestive system. So, you know, I ended up in the hospital uh, about a week and a half after I got married. Actually, I was living in Norman, Oklahoma. And it kind of sent me on a tailspin. You know, I, I it was everything that I was so comfortable with in life and, you know, I just thought everything was just moving right along. It, it, it just threw everything out of control, but you know, that, that had a lot to do with my decision-making to come back to Ohio was because being in Oklahoma, that's a, that's a long ways from Ohio. And, uh, it, over the course of time, it just put a lot of things in perspective and it really drove me to, become a better person, to become a better designer, to try to find every possible way to make an impact, to make a difference. And uh, 
with that, you know, it's just giving me such an opportunity to look at life through a different lens. You start thinking like legacy mode or how can I be remembered or, you know, how can I touch somebody's life or how can I reach out to somebody and let them know how much of a difference they made to me before that opportunity passes me by, you know, so there's just a whole bunch of different things that are going on, but you know, it really challenged me to become a better person, become a better designer, become a better husband, become a better friend, you know, and take it, make the most of every opportunity. I would say take advantage of every opportunity, but not necessarily that, but make the most of every opportunity. If I can contribute to the design world that something might, that something might exist long after I'm gone, that's a win for me, you know? So there was just so many different things going on and I'd used all that energy that was going on to channel it in a positive way. So sports fonts was a part of that. I'm happy to say that after uh, several surgeries and several rounds of taste chemo, I am 11 months, no visible signs of cancer. Uh, October 29th awesome. will be my one year. So yeah, but with that, I just have this different mindset where I'm hungry. I want to live life to the fullest. And, you know, I want my relationships to mean more and the work to mean more and the work to be better. And, you know, just like I said, it's legacy mode for me. I'm, I I approach every opportunity like it's my last. And it's been right. nothing but positive for me. So, yeah. Well, yeah, man. Well, I appreciate you sharing that that story. I, I read uh, I read your blog post about it. And, and I know, obviously, like we talked about, a lot of people are, this is a tight knit, you know, niche Um so to speak in the, in the design industry. And, you know, if people that are frequenting, uh, you know, I don't know, sportslogos.net or places like that, you know, places that you tend to frequent and, and build community with, like, you know, knew that story. So I wanted to, uh, kind of fill people in that maybe didn't know you and know your personal story. And, and I think it's very inspiring. So, um, awesome to you, man, for being, uh, you know, visibly cancer free and, and, you know, finding a new perspective on life. I think that's awesome. Um, yeah, they call, well, I'll say they call me, here, here's my situation being stage four because, you know, cancer has spread to my liver. Fortunately, taste, which is a localized chemo, was able to wipe that out. But they call it what's, uh, they say there's no visible cancer because there might be little seeds of it somewhere. And this isn't to like scare people or make them think like, oh my God, what's going to happen? But it's a good thing because I get checked all the time, but I say all of this because they don't say, they, they won't say remission or this, but they say under surveillance. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So I feel like I'm, uh, it, it takes it to another level. It makes me feel like, uh, like I'm some sort of project or, you know, like top secret <laughs> thing. Or so I try to find ways to make it light too. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, uh, yeah. It's something you live with, and to be quite honest, it, it I'm a much better person with it than I was before I had it, or uh-huh. at least before I found out. So, well, we, we, thanks, thanks for sharing this, that story, man. So, sports fonts, it's it's this uh, sort of new newfound passion, I guess you could say for you. How much typography? I mean, obviously as designers, we work with typography all the time, but now we're talking about custom typography and, and designing and creating custom fonts. Like how much of that stuff did you do in the past? Was this kind of a new area for you? Oh no, I've been doing it for a long time. I mean, it goes back to, like I said, those days in sixth, seventh grade, middle branch, middle school in Canton, Ohio, Uh, (laughs) where I used to walk to the card shop about two miles away from our place 
I used to get Sky Skybox was like one of the first series I ever collected. It's probably ninety one, ninety two. Yeah, and they would have you know just team logo cards, and this when the expansion teams were big, so it was like the Hornets or the Heat or whoever. Uh-huh. So I would draw those logos, and I would try to capture that typography as close to what the real thing was as possible. And that that was also about like drawing Hornets jerseys or drawing. Chris Weber, Golden State Warriors jerseys. It was obviously right. typography driven. So I always liked that component of design as well. Uh, but I really got the chance to explore that and understand the rhyme and reason of it during my time at uh, SLD, which is the sports license division of the Adidas Group. Excuse mm-hmm. me. I had a really good friend, uh, Andy Sterlachini at Means 1974. One of my best buddies, you know, industry friends too. And, uh, he was one of the guys that was really involved with it along with me. So we would bounce ideas off of one another, building letter forms, just sketching, you know, or just saying, well, what can we do here? What can we do there? And uh, just started getting involved with like font softwares and things like that, just filling our way out through it. And it just became something we enjoyed doing in our downtimes and uh, just took off. So every time there was an opportunity to do a branding project, it would be the logos and, you know, primary, secondary marks. And then we'd take it another step and we'd like try to build this thing out A to Z, zero through nine punctuation marks and all that, just to show that our concepts were thorough, you know, and that also worked as far as like inline development. So say, for example, if we're creating an apparel product line for fall 2015 season, you look at Nike, you look at Under Armour, you look at Adidas, you look at everybody. A lot of times they're telling pattern stories and they're working on custom typeface development. So when those opportunities presented themselves as well, we were all about that. So, you know, it's always been something I've been interested in. It's just an opportunity for me to, with sports fonts, to just get that out there to the community. You know, and create something that we can all be a part of. You know, that's something that I offer on the site as well is for people to send ideas, you know, to, you know, help build this community with me. I didn't, I don't want it to be something where, no, this is my thing. I want right. it to be something where we can build this together. You know, like it's almost like being the, the Chris Creamer of, you know, font design. So right. <laughs> right, right. contributions, you know, very family, family based. Yeah. Yeah, for sure, man. And, and, you know, so I, I guess I'm curious, like, I mean, I've done like custom typography and stuff before, you know, for logos and things like that, but never, never pushed it as far as like developing a full out font. So I'm curious, like what, what is a, um, you know, in these, in the sports industry, I mean, uh, Joe Bosack, I know that he does a lot of custom keyable fonts and things depending on like budgets and stuff for the, whoever he's working with. But what is, what is a process for something like that? Like, I mean, are you, how do you know where to start? I mean, are you literally starting like with an A and then going B, C, D, or is it just like, you know, I'm going to go X first. And then there's like these weird, like uh, nuances where it's like, well, the R, if I actually subtract that, you know, diagonal line becomes a P or whatever. Well, there's, you know, that last part there, there is a part of that, you know, it sounds like pretty nerdy, but I sit there with a pad of paper sometimes and I'm just bored out of my mind and I will draw a letter form. And maybe I'm just wired to think with a sports design aesthetic, mm-hmm. but it'll usually have something that's angular or have some round, you know, or it has some speed to it maybe, but maybe sometimes it's an R. Maybe sometimes it's a two. Maybe sometimes it's an eight or a B. 
I don't know. It's just whatever I'm feeling at the moment, to be totally honest with you. But, (laughs) you know, there might be five to ten different letter forms on a page. And as I'm looking at them, I might, one might just jump out. I know it sounds like it's got to be more than that. I, I kid you not. <laughs> it's just <laughs> something that happens. I can't explain it. I'll look <laughs> at one letter form and say, Hey, okay, well, I like the foundation of that. Well, let me try maybe a complex letter form because I, I believe if you take the most complex letter forms and you reverse engineer from there, well, then everything else, like your zeros and your ones and it, C's, that all that stuff should be easy, right? right? So say, for instance, if I've got an R that I've created, I'm like, all right, that's pretty cool. Well, how does that work with a B or an X or, you know, like a K, an M, you know? It, 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 and I'll try to iron out what those worst case scenarios are and then take it from there. Nice. nice. I mean, it, it's, I, I make it sound kind of easy and it takes a little longer than that five minutes. But like I said, it go, all goes back to the sketching too. I save myself so much headache because I'm ironing this stuff out on paper. Okay. That's a bad idea. I can abort mission and go on to the next thing. But if I see it, it's like, okay, well maybe if I have to alter this because of this third or fourth letter form I've designed, Maybe I can go back to the initial one and incorporate that same aesthetic from the fourth letter form and kind of meet halfway and then start fleshing things out from there. Right. Right. So are you um, I mean, obviously, in the sports industry and we uh, we think about like these fonts and especially like when you purchase fonts and stuff like they tend to be kind of like headline. You know, I don't think that you're going to take. I guess necessarily, um, I'll just use, I'll use, uh, United for example, which it tends to be a popular sports font. Like, you know, I don't think that a lot of people are going to take that and bulk that thing out in paragraph form or whatever. So is that kind of something that you sort of have in mind when you're working on these that you're like, you know, these are, these are more for headline based logo fonts maybe, or, or, you know, like headers and then, you know, the numbers obviously it's for numbers on uniforms and stuff like that. Or are you actually thinking about like how these things are going to work in like bulk information, like text and paragraphs? I didn't used to think about how things would work in layout as far as like um, body copy Mm -hmm. until recently, actually, because up to that point in time, my world, you know, that wasn't a part of my world. Mm -hmm. But if I'm going to be, you know, providing things for that particular audience, I have to make sure that my bases are covered on all ends. So starting off, I always thought, you know, A through Z, zero through nine. Because that was going to be normally what's on a t-shirt graphic or on a jersey. You know, like you said, a headline. Maybe you you probably get an exclamation point, quotation marks, question mark. Mm -hmm. And that was probably the extent of it. But when you put these things out and you're telling people, look, hey, look, this is for everything you need. Well, people say, well, what about body copy? Or I'm doing this, I have to add this subtext or this little bit of information there. So then I have to think, well, damn, I didn't do a a bullet point or an underscore or, you know, a semicolon, Uh (laughs) you know, so you have to start thinking bigger than yourself or your comfort zone. So you have to start creating all those things to make sure that 
you're not only putting yourself, but you're putting that designer that puts their hard-earned money on that font. You know, right, you want right. to make sure you're putting them in a position to succeed. So you have to start thinking like on down the line. Not to say that I'm perfect at it. I'm not, and that's why I, I try to keep myself as com- competitive or uh, competitive on the pricing and comparable on the pricing as I am. Because look, I'm not House Industries yet. I'm not. Um, one of the industry leaders in font design, but I really have a real joy in doing this stuff and I want to share. So, you know, I try to make sure that I'm, I'm not pricing myself out or trying to say, well, look, take it or leave it or this or that. It's like, you know what? If something's built wrong or you need something done in a particular way, send me an email because I want to put great stuff out there and I don't want things to be compromised or feel like, well, I would, but you didn't do this this time and I don't, trust that you'll get it right that time either. So it's a lot of trial and error in doing it, but I want to evolve it and make sure that I'm giving people, you know, high quality work and at a price they can afford and then be able to see how they're able to take it and use it in ways that I had no idea or I wasn't even thinking about. I think that's, to me, that's one of the best things about sports fonts is a lot of designers that are using these are using the fonts in ways that I would have never thought of. Yeah. So it's like, oh, wow, that's great, man. That's cool, you know. Well, you talk about leaving your mark, and and I think you know on the on the industry, or you know, just contributing in some way to the to this niche of of the design industry. And I think with something like this, you know, this gives you an opportunity to really spread that out <laughs> more yeah. so than than somebody who's say just doing like brand identity work or poster designs or things like that. Cause you're, you're getting a little piece of your work everywhere, you know, when, when people start using these things. So that's awesome, man. I think it's, I think it's a, a great idea and, you know, I think that you're a, a great, honestly, you're a great person to do it because even if we think about, I think that somebody from inside, I guess, has to do this type of thing for the sports industry. Because if you think about, uh, let's just say Hoefler, Heffler, Hoefler, uh, and company, mm-hmm. you know, those guys are doing, uh, custom fonts for like, I don't know, Oprah magazine and things like that or whatever. And it, and it's tends to be like, you know, a lot more corporate type work and, and that kind of right. thing. But you know, the thing is, is it's like we've talked about here today, but also it's been kind of reiterated throughout all 13 episodes is that th- this is its own animal. Sports is its own animal. And, and you know, like I said, like you're on the inside, you're doing it. I think you're one of the perfect people to do it. So kudos to that, man. Uh, I think it's a great idea. Well, I appreciate that. You know, it's funny too, because you talk about how these people are, you know, it, it's a different animal. And to speak into that point, it's true because a lot of people ask me, well, what all do you do? I'm like, I'm a sports designer. And they say, well, do you do anything else? I'm like, yeah, I do. But if I have a say-so in the matter, I'm doing sports design. It's just something that I've always been passionate about. And I tell people constantly, you know, if you put me in a room with a pen, pencil, piece of paper, and told me come up with logos, come up with fonts all day, I'll probably be one of the happiest guys in the world. And... That's why I know this is for me, you know, and I do feel like I had to be, if, if somebody's going to do it, like I said before, why not me? I, I have an understanding for what that is. Like, you know, this is something that I love. It's not just a make money quick scheme. It's like, look, these things were sitting around <laughs> and they were accumulated over years. So it's not like I was doing this master plan in mind. It's just, I have a real passion for it. 
That's awesome, man. That's the, that's the mind of an entrepreneur right now, right there. You know, it's like, <laughs> why not me? You know, why not me? Well, you know, I want to encourage our listeners to go check it out. It's um, sportsfonts.com will take you there, right? Um, it's through Squarespace right now. Uh, the first one that had sportsfonts.com was secured by somebody else, and it's not a foundry or anything like that. I think it's just a page where this guy is talking about soccer numbers. So I just clear the air on that one right now. Okay. Um, okay. But sportsfonts.squarespace.com is the place to go right now. You'll see a lot of fonts created by myself. You'll see uh, a couple posted by TJ Harley of Harley Creative, another great designer, great guy too. Mm-hmm. And I'm always looking for new work from other people too. And I want to make sure you're compensated adequately for that. So I've got to check to send out to TJ. So TJ, if you're listening, let me know your PayPal, send me an email. I'm, uh, you know, <laughs> I'm <off> the <laughs> subject right now, but like I said before, it's, uh, I want to create the, this, this, uh, this forum for other people to maybe cut their teeth in design or establish designers that are looking for a little extra money in their pocket to take the girl out to eat or something, whatever. Yeah. You know, feel free to contribute and help build a community. So that's nice, uh, man. Yeah. That's nice. Well, and, and, and they're very reasonable. I mean, we're looking at like $10, $15, uh, yeah. you know, for these fonts and, uh, you know, are you, do you have plans to kind of stay in that range or, you know, we look at like obviously Huffler and company, you're talking about thousands of dollars depending on these full faces and things like that. What's, what's kind of your plans uh, in that area? You know what? I'm just having fun with it right now. And I'd like to keep it in a place where everybody has the opportunity to use these. Now, if somebody decided to come out someday and make these top tier fonts where they're charging a thousand bucks a pop more power you know more power to them i i respect your hustle do what you do but um if you price right you know it gives everybody from beginner to expert the opportunity to have these things i mean you go look at i'm inspired by companies like lost type you know you've ever been to lost type co-op i mean they're taking donations so sometimes people are downloading these things for free right and some people you know all they have is five bucks but they really enjoy what it is you're creating you know what? That's cool to see it utilized that in, in that way. I, I, I think that's, it comes from a place of passion too. So, um, you know, I, I'd like to keep in that world right there. Nice. Well, I'm glad to see that world kind of get shaken up too, because like you said, man, there's it, the barrier to entry is rough when it comes to getting, you know, we wonder why I totally, I totally appreciate like the Gotham's of the world and, and, and those, you know, beautiful typefaces, but you know, junior designer that's maybe doing a freelance gig really has a hard time going out and spending over thousand dollars on a font, you know, and that's right. why things get right. stolen, <laughs> you know, but exactly, thing, like, exactly. like 10 bucks. I mean, if somebody, you know, if somebody's going to steal, you know, champions, you know, it's $10, right? Like I'll, I'll pay for it. <laughs> Yeah, it's like within dude, reason, on. right? Within, I mean, I'll pay. I'll, I'm saying I personally will pay for the dude that's trying to steal that font. Just one. Dollar, well, I look at right? it like this. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like the Apple Store model, right? You know, everybody was going crazy with Napster and all that before the iTunes Store came about. Is because you know I'm not paying twenty dollars for a CD, but if you can tell me that I can buy a song for a buck, come on, man. Yeah, it's, it, 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 like. Who wouldn't? Seriously. Oh, yeah, absolutely. The whole the whole model is make it easier to pay this amount of money than it is. You know, it's it's easier to download a song for nine nine cents on iTunes than it is to actually steal a song now. You know, it's just easier. It's like going <laughs> and push one button, you bought it. You know, exactly. 
You have to look over your shoulder. I worry about getting raided one day. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, Chris, man, what's next? What's next for you? Is this something you're thinking about maybe going into uh, full time one day or are you just kind of playing it by ear? You know, I would eventually love to have my own agency uh, surrounded by a bunch of hungry, talented designers that uh, are willing to contribute to a team and just create great work. Uh, I'd also love to see where sports fonts goes. You know, it was a labor of love and to see people respond to it the way they have has been very rewarding. Uh, so yeah, I, I wouldn't want that thing to stop either. Uh, where I see myself going in the future too is maybe along the path of social entrepreneurship and what social entrepreneurship is, is creating an agency, a service or a business that runs for profit, but is also able to use the money that it makes to give to nonprofit causes. Mm-hmm. And like a Tom Shoes my, or, or something like that. Like a exactly. Tom Shoes or Warby with, Parker. Right. Anything that, you know, makes a, a, like a concentrated effort to say, look, when you engage in business with us, you're doing something that has a purpose that is giving to someone, you know, like changing someone's life. I mean, when I, we look at in the industry, you say it's only a poster or it's only a t-shirt. This is just t-shirts. And that's cool. You know, if you're happy with that, do you do whatever floats your boat. But because my world has been shaken up, I really have to do things that matter now. Like I want my time and my efforts and my energy to count. I want to, maybe lighten somebody else's load. So if it's being able to contribute to the James over at Ohio State, helping out their neuroendocrine cancer department, their oncology team, or, you know, just raising awareness and allowing people to know, like, this is what's going on right now, or just be able to say, I know it's not much, but here you go. It makes a difference. I I was, um, I'm a nut when it comes to like audio books and like self-improvement and, Mm -hmm. One of the biggest things I heard was uh, from Chris Gardner, who was the subject of The Pursuit of Happiness, you know, the Will right. Smith yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah. And I was listening to him talking on Dave Ramsey, who I'm a huge fan of. Mm-hmm. And he says, you know, some people get into business to make money and others get into business to make a difference. And I really want to make a difference now more than ever. And, you know, true, I might have a situation where it's allowed me to come to terms with life and the, the, you know, the obvious end of it someday. But while I'm here, like, can I make a dent in the universe? Like Steve jobs talks about, even Mm -hmm. if it's a minor one still to be able to create one, it's a pretty cool idea. Right. So to, to at least make the attempt is, is intriguing and exciting to me. So that's where I see myself ultimately being. Beautifully said, man. Beautifully said. And I think there's a great opportunity in this vertical market of sports to do that. Um, so where can our listeners find out more about you and get in touch if they want to reach out to you? Well, you can uh, check out more of my work at chrisbazin.com. You can also find me on Dribble, Chris Bazin. Send me an email, whatever. You just want to give me a shout. You like the show, you hate the show, you're sick of hearing my voice or whatever. <laughs> Chris Bazin. Chris Bazin at gmail.com. There's a place to reach me. You can reach me at sportsfonts at gmail.com too. Nice. I would give and, you my and number, that's, that's but I don't Chris. know about it. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, we don't have you to know go that far. That's Chris with a K. No, K-R-I-S. Yeah. K-R-I-S. Yes. K-R-I-S-B-A-Z-E-N 
at gmail.com or K-R-I-S-B-A-Z-E-N.com. Uh, you can find me at Chris Bazin on Twitter. You, I also respond at Sports Fonts on Twitter. Um, and, yeah, I think that those are the best ways to connect with me on LinkedIn. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Whatever. Good. But, yeah, just don't call me with some creep stuff. You know. <laughs> I hear you, man. I hear you. Well, dude. You might think my voice is sexy, whatever. You got a little bit of a radio voice going there, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, man, I really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, I know the listeners, listeners will like it. Appreciate you taking the time to do this and uh, appreciate you uh, sharing your your story, both professional and personal. So oh, thanks, yeah. man. My pleasure. My pleasure. Um, and I, 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 the people don't know this. I tried to reach out to you because I wanted to be your first face-to-face interview. I don't know if you've ever interviewed anyone. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. That, that's but you being in we Kentucky – <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And we're going to make it want, happen one day. We're gonna, we'll, we'll make it happen one day. We, we'll do a Google Hangout yeah. or something. We'll, we we'll need to do a Google there. Hangout or I'm willing to do like a dribble meetup or anything like that. Let me tell you something. And before you go, because this was a huge experience for me and I'm so glad that I was able to do this. Uh, there was weapons of mass creation in Cleveland back in mm-hmm. August. Yeah. And I had, I was very fortunate to have the opportunity to meet Joe Bosak. Razor Davidson, TJ Harley, and a bunch of other different other people too. And I was also able to catch up with a lot of my good friends like Andrew Harrington, Nathan Schenkel, uh, Weapons of Mass Creation. That was a great experience for me to kind of, you know, catch up with some good friends and make some new ones and be able to talk shop about industry and just, you know, life in general. And I wouldn't take that experience back for the world. So, nice. uh, you know, to be able to hang out with designers that share your passion for sport and design, it's very cool. So, yeah, if you ever decided you want to meet up and do something, hey, feel free to reach out. We can meet in Cincinnati. That's about an hour and a half away. And uh, we'll make something happen. Hey, so well, maybe there's will, one man. day a Makers of Sport meetup. Just throwing it out there. Yeah, hey, Makers of Sport meetup. Who knows? Maybe Makers of Sport conference one day. We'll see what happens. I got some I got some ideas brewing. So okay. uh, again, okay. man, I appreciate it. My next guest is John Trotter. John is the founder and creative director of San Francisco Strategic Brand Consultancy and Creative Agency 4040. Before founding 4040, John was a designer at Nike and a design director at the global branding agency Landor. His background is in design, strategy, and consumer experiences, and his agency provides alternative approaches to brand building for brands such as the NFL, Major League Soccer, the Philadelphia Phillies, and Keen Footwear, and more. Uh, big thanks again to Chris Bazin for joining the show. Again, you can follow him on Twitter at Chris Bazin. That's K-R-I-S-B-A-Z-E-N. Uh, and it's the same with his website, chrisbazin.com. And go buy some fonts. Support this man that's doing doing some work in this industry, Sports Fonts dot squarespace.com uh i want to give an update on halftime i mentioned it on the last episode it's a 20 minute broadcast uh podcast that i've got coming uh which is uh, the obvious play on the amount of time that halftime in most sports is 20 minutes um i'm I'm working on getting a couple of x episodes in the queue so that i'm not doing a bunch of crazy work week to week trying to get this stuff up this podcasting is is super hard work (laughs) um but anyway that'll be launching soon uh i've been doing my own thing uh 
seven of the nine years of my career I've been running my own uh, independent design studio full time. So I will uh, be sharing some news about professionalism and networking and, uh, you know, the things that I'm even doing here, like having these great conversations with talented people. So updates on that soon. That'll be called Halftime. Uh, be sure to follow myself on Twitter at T. Adam Martin, as well as the show at Makers of Sport. Please take, take some time to rate, like, or write a review of the show on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you happen to be listening to this. You can also leave me a comment at Makers of Sport, uh, the website, makersofsport.com. And you can even comment on this episode if uh, you have anything that you want to say to Chris. Go in there and leave a comment on that page on the website, makersofsport.com. Until next time, have a good week.